Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Wrench. I'm really happy that you're joining us. Before we get started today, want to talk about the winner of the higher or lower game in our Wrenchway app from last week. Our Wrenchway insider that won was Tyler Mefford with a high score of 28. Uh, I think Tyler's won a, a couple times now. Congratulations, Tyler. You get your $100 Amazon gift card. And as always, we appreciate your support and and all of the effort that goes into answering the questions and playing the game. So he also had a shot at the current Queen of Hearts pot, which uh, he did not turn over the Queen of Hearts and uh, win the $900. So that prize increases to $1,000. So if you want to give Tyler some competition, get out to the Wrenchway app, check it out, answer the questions. We just introduced video questions. So we'll be using some of our friends from industry to ask questions of you and look forward to your feedback in, in general. So on that note, the Wrenchway app helps technicians in the automotive, diesel, and heavy equipment industries by making it easier to search for jobs highlighting the best shops to work at, and gathering feedback and ideas on how the industry can be improved. The app is completely free, along with everything else we do for technicians, and can be downloaded in the App Store or on Google Play. We've included a link in the show notes with more information. Uh, This week's episode, uh, as we kind of segue into this, is with Robert Blaze from uh, Staying Automotive. And Robert is really, really insightful. He is very uh, intelligent. I think you'll see this over the course of the podcast and in forward thinking in in terms of a shop owner. Robert's got a really, really good independent shop out in Colorado. And it it was really a fun topic because we talked about the struggles and challenges of being a shop owner. And and really that that evolved into leadership type of conversation. And I think this is good for not only shop owners, it's good for dealership personnel, it's good for technicians, it's good for automotive, diesel, heavy duty, wherever you you fall at. I think this is a really, really good podcast. And you'll you'll start to see immediately in this podcast how strong Robert is as a leader. And one one that I really, really enjoyed doing. So I, I really respect Robert. I look forward to having you all listen to what he has to say. Have a great week. Take care. All right. Today, I am elated to have Robert Blaise from Stang Automotive out in Colorado join me. I've gotten to know Robert a little bit here as we've set up kind of some of his wrenchway stuff, but come away really, really impressed every time we talk. So I'm I'm really excited to have you on today, Robert, and excited to talk and pick your brain on all things shop management and the challenges of being a shop owner and, and all of this. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. All right. So let's dive into how you got to be such a great shop owner. I, I want to start with kind of your story of of how how you got into the automotive business to start with. Like, give us the, the background of what, what led you here. Well, always as a teenager, I was a gearhead. Both my father and my grandfather were involved in the industry at a certain level. And being around cars and thinking like many high school boys was a passion and something that I enjoyed a lot. I struggled more with algebra and English and history and some of those typical subjects and decided to pursue my passion and moved from Albuquerque to Denver to go to automotive school. In my tenure as a student, I was hired at a nuclear weapons facility, which was a great job to help fund my my needs. And while I was there, there was natural openings. Of course, my goal was to become an automotive mechanic there, but there was opportunity to go into an electrical apprenticeship and from there to go into a technical apprenticeship. And um, as great as those were, I missed my path being able to play with cars and tinker with cars. So it was a hobby that I started out in my garage back in 1980, just working on Mustangs while I worked my career as an electrician and went through the apprenticeship as electronics tech. 
And those opened the door to me understanding when computer controls came to automotive, it became more like second nature to me to see and understand that and and work through that process. So by 1987, I had three fleets that weren't Mustangs. And later on in my career at the nuclear weapons facility, I had the opportunity to move into a fleet administrator, which gave me a lot of lessons and learned a lot of cool things fulfilling that job. And with the announcement of their closure, I opened up where I am now in Broomfield as an automotive shop and have worked through my career here. And when was that? That was, I left my corporate job at at the weapons facility in 95 and opened up here in April of 96. Wow. All right. So, So we celebrated 25 years this year. Congratulations. It's such a such a big accomplishment. And I think folks that are in a similar role to you as a shop owner can appreciate how much work goes into that 25 years and how much, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears, literally. (laughs) What, so it sounds like a lot of what you had done prior to starting the shop helped you when you did own the shop, right? Or like when, when you started to get into business for yourself, uh, a lot of what you had done prior to that kind of really applied as you started being able to build your own shop. Sure, it did. And and knowing that that's where I wanted to go, I, I tried to pursue a lot of training for business, running a business and business management and accounting and those pieces. One of the big things that helped a lot was getting involved in a group process with a business coach. And Mm. we started out in the bottom line impact groups and then later moved to pro service. I actually started that process in June of 98 and have been able to surround myself with superstars that were very successful and learn a lot of the key elements in operating a successful business. And I would attribute the biggest part of my success to the things that I learned there and the coaching that I got from there and the the support and assistance that other shop owners provide. Was, Was there a point where you got to where you're thinking to yourself, I need a coach, I, I need something more here, or was it just something naturally that you always intended to do? Well, when I, when I made my move into this facility and, and as my sole career, there was a lot of other very successful shop owners that were involved with the, I call them the grandfathers, and they, they did a lot to build us a very successful organization in Denver. And most of them participated in this and talked about how it helped them and was successful. So that was the key for me going down that path is looking at what helped them and and duplicating it. That's interesting. I I think that's a that's a really neat thing that you kept your your mind open to to asking for more help for, you know, to really get you know, I think the the value you talked about in 20 groups, being able to talk it over with other really, really smart people and and putting yourself in an environment where you're surrounded by a bunch of smart people. I don't think you can go wrong when when you put more smart people in a room. I, I always say that you put a bunch of smart people in the room, you're going to come out better. Right. And it allows you, you know, somebody coined the phrase once that you have this board of directors but yet you still get to remain an independent. So you can bring your questions, your concerns, your struggles, your challenges to a group of very smart people and get a lot of their ideas and hear their success stories and then determine what's going to work best in your facility. One of the really successful people, Terry Beachler, once coined the phrase about being in the group process was R&D. And he didn't really refer to research and development. He coined it as rip off and duplicate. (laughs) And as an independent, one of the hardest things is starting with a blank sheet of paper. And so when you are, are looking to address something and you can get somebody else's procedure, policy, or hear their story, now you have something to build on rather than starting from scratch. And you hear what they did wrong and where their challenges and struggles were. And it gives you a leg up to go down that path and not have to learn everything from the school of hard knocks. 
which is a much easier way to approach it. Yeah, I, it, and maybe don't go through the ups and downs as much as you do when you're trying to learn it on your own. Correct, correct. So one of the videos you had created, and for those of you that haven't seen, Robert's got a, a great website, and they did a, some video for the Wrenchway page that really talks to technicians. And in one of those videos, you talk about how you identified as a founder more than a business owner. And I want to I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that side of it and what what led you to that thinking because I think that's really unique in that I don't hear that from a lot of shop owners that you know really kind of have have focused on something different, right? And so what led you to really taking that that thought process or that, you know, that maybe that different route of I'm a founder rather than a shop owner? Well, you know, often people open up their own shop because they have their idea of what kind of operation they want to run, you know, what kind of cars they want to work on, what kind of schedule they want to work, what kind of service they want to deliver, and and their perception of how they want their business to run. And now the business becomes them or... You know, it, they refer to it as my business and they want it done my way. And it becomes a lot of a dictatorship of I'm commanding that you do it this way and everything has to go through me. And the business is nothing more than just a representation of who the owner is. And any of us that have been in a business ownership for a period of time have learned that really the the business more owns the owner rather than the other way around. And there's so much to do in this business that it's really, really difficult to be able to handle all of it and do all of it. And so if you hire the right people, the, the better philosophy is to prepare a role for them to fill where they can do what they're really good at and allow them, give them the resources and empower them to fill that role so that you're not having to run it or micromanage it or look over people's shoulder. So I look at it that I'm the founder because I had an idea of, of what kind of business that I wanted to be in and work in and, and prosper with. And I don't want to have to be micromanaging every employee and looking over it. If you explain the expectations, now I can come in and do my job. And I know all the other people that are here are filling their roles and doing things. And, and it's not really that they work for me. They're a member of the team doing their part. I feel like that's so big in, in accountability too, right? Like I think there's a lot of shop managers that get frustrated because somebody's not doing something that they expected but maybe they didn't explain that they what they expected in the first place so it's hard to it's hard to hold somebody accountable if they don't know what they're being held accountable for right sure and and an example i give um is when i was changing shop management software and i was really used to my old program and i would get frustrated about what the new program didn't do and i would say i wanted to do this you know, or where is this? And Rex, another person I met in the, the group process, who was my salesman that walked us through the setup. And he would say, well, tell me what you're trying to accomplish and let me understand what you need. And then I'll show you the way to get it in this program. And that, that philosophy applies in business as well. If you explain what's expected and what the outcome is, then everybody doesn't have to get there the same way. And one of the things that helped us a lot was having a, a good mission statement and having core values. And then it became very easy for me to say, if you make a decision based on these core values, then I can accept that it's not the same path I would take. You hit on a really key point there too. It, you, you've got that the the mission and you've got your mission statement on your website. You've, I'm assuming in the shop you've got the mission. How how important was that to to everything you're doing? And you know I think it's important for me to understand this because so often you go into a business and maybe they've got a mission statement, but it's just kind of a plaque on the wall. It doesn't actually it doesn't doesn't get executed, right? Or it doesn't, it's more for eye candy than it is actual execution. But what I'm hearing from you is that 
it, it, this is a core piece to your business. It is. And, and all the employees need to really understand what the business is about. And then they can choose whether this is what they want to be part of or not. And the mission statement, number one, like you said, can't be just the plaque on the wall. It has to be something that embodies what the goal of the operation is and gives some meat and potatoes to what we do and how we do it. And more than that, it needs the core values. And that's what Stephen Covey preached is to define your core values first and then build your mission statement off the core values. So at our monthly employee meetings, we have one employee, one person who gets to pick one of those items, a core value or the mission statement, and talk about what they like about it and why it's important to them and either how we do that well or what we need to do to do that better. Would you have advice for a shop that maybe doesn't have that yet? And the reason I ask that is I think when you introduce something new like this, especially to technicians, it can be almost you know, what is this? You know, this is, this isn't anything, you know, like you want them to take it seriously. You want them to really buy into that. And I think getting technicians to talk about something like that can be a challenge, especially if it's, if it's something that's new. What have you seen success with getting people to, to share this information or what they're doing there? Because I think that's really critical. And that's a great topic. And that was something that I really had a hard time learning and caused me a lot of struggle over my years. And when you look at your mission statement and core values, for example, as you're asking, it's not really a one and done thing. And it's not really a standalone thing. And you don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to present it to the team. We're going to go through it and it's done and over with and we sing Kumbaya. It's more making that mental change uh, in your philosophy about being a leader that provides guidance and direction and just learning how to build a team environment and for all your employees to, to be a member of that team and for them to know that they have input and the the ideas they come up with can be implemented. And people need to, again, talk about the end goal and why that's important and why we want to do this and how that's going to help us. And it's all part of that process. And so during some of my struggles, I would bring those challenges to my coach. And one of the things he would say to me is read the book. And he was talking about how to win friends and influence people. And I, yeah, yeah. I'd call him back six months later and talk about a problem. And he's like, Robert, read the book. And I'm like, I already read the book. And he's like, you need to read it again. (laughs) You know, and that happened multiple times. And then implementing the John Maxwell stuff. And right now I went through some leadership training, the 15 ways. And it talked about 15 different ways, things that we need to do as a leader. And it's doing all of those things and making it, it's not a task. None of those things are really a task. It's just a way of operating. And all the things you do in your operation need to embody that. And now when technicians really feel or advisors or the cleanup guy or the CSR person feel that they're a part of the team and they are empowered to do what they do well and they can implement their ideas and their practices without always having to have the stamp of approval. That's when it really starts working and having your core values and mission statement need to be part of that whole process and the way you do business. How how important has that self-development piece been to you? I wish I would have learned that the day I opened the door, because even now, as I'm nearing the end of my career, we talk about leadership. And I just went to three days of leadership training in the group process in Memphis. And we took one of the apprentices and one of the advisors. And one of the things that they really taught 
and what some of John Maxwell's training is, is not so much how to get a group of people to do what you want them to do, but how we ourselves grow. And when we learn how to grow and change and be adaptive, now we're able to do that better with our team rather than directing them. We're setting an example and making it a, a way that we operate. I, I absolutely love that. And that was something I got lucky early on in my career where I had a mentor that uh, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up as a reader. I wasn't, I, I hated reading in school. And, and when I, I remember him kind of saying to me, you know, oh, you're not reading, like, what are you doing? I, and so I, I started going to like a local Barnes and Noble and going through and seeing books that applied to me. The first things that stuck out to me were books on fabrication on on different types of racing. I was into racing growing up and I didn't even know there were books. This is, you know, really pre-internet. I didn't know that there were books on topics that were of interest to me because when I go to my local library, I just didn't see those things. And and so once my my interest in business started to peak, then it started to I started to see those books that I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this really hits home with me." And started reading and reading and reading. And that made such a, a a huge impact. And the authors that you mentioned, Stephen Covey, John Maxwell, John you know, Max. he's got a great one. Good leaders ask great questions. It, it's a absolutely great book. But I I think if nothing else, it helps open your mind to different leadership styles and being able to you know be adaptive in how you approach management. Correct. And and for me, I'm I'm the same. I struggle reading and. A lot of times when I try to read, it puts me to sleep after a period of time. And for years and years, I didn't read because of that. And the business coach, my business coach, Jim Murphy, who is an awesome leader and awesome mentor, kept pushing us to read and read and read. And I just started, it's, it's kind of like that coin phrase where they say, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a time. <laughs> and so... And I learned that somebody else quoted that too. You know, we talk about implementing something and you have this goal that's way up here and everybody talks about not doing it because getting up here is unreachable. But even if you set your goal up here and you only accomplish 10% of it, that's not a failure or not a loss. That's 10% more than you had before. So in reading, I just started trying to do what I could and Granted, if I only read one book a year, that's not very much, but that's still five chapters, 10 chapters, 15 chapters of reading of something that helped me. And it's at least a process of continuous improvement, which, by the way, is one of our core values, continuous improvement. I love that. Love that. It all ties together. I mean, everything you're doing ties together. And I think you can see it reflected in your operation. And I'll, I'll pick your brain on the operation side here a little bit. But before that, I want to ask you about the, the reading aspect of how hard is it for you? And this is something I struggle with. How hard is it for you to read stuff and not come back the next day and be like, oh, I want to implement all this stuff? You, you kind of have to pick and choose a little bit, right? Because you can read something like the or the EOS book or Traction and want to change all of your systems uh, at least or because somebody's got a really good book that explains something in detail but it's it's really hard to come back and implement everything from every book otherwise everybody's going to go crazy in your in your business i'd assume yeah and i struggled with that a lot especially when i first got in the group process and you'd go and they would you know, all these ideas would come up and you're supposed to leave with 20 things to implement. And I'd come back and try to implement 20 things. And <laughs> I alienated uh, a lot of employees trying to do that. And I think it, it a couple things go into that. First, you have to have that, that operation where everybody's a team member and you're collaborating and working together. And second, as they brought up, when we implement things, is it in line with your goal? And, you know, like when you buy a tool, is it going to make you money? Or is it just the newest 
flavor of the month. And you have to kind of make those choices. So if you know where you're going to go and how you're going to get there and everybody understands that and you have that level of communication and they understand the whys, as you bring up these ideas, it becomes much easier to implement. A friend of mine who's been in the group process for me, with me since 99, I believe, Mike Davidson of Parkway Automotive in Little Rock, you know, I used to go to him and talk about, ah, oh, man, I went back with all these things to do and I, I suck. I didn't, wasn't able to implement them all. And he said, you just need to stop taking 20 things back and take three things and prioritize them and work at work on one at a time and make sure it's not the squirrel routine where, you know, one day it's this, the next day it's something else. Having a plan and implementing stuff to help you achieve those goals so that it's a process of moving forward instead of just always switching gears. Yeah, which if you think about it from the other end, from your team's end, if you're just always changing things and you're changing a big list of things, it makes it really demotivating from the standpoint of it. It can be overwhelming. It can be, I think it it impacts communication if people don't understand what they're supposed to be doing or why they're supposed to be changing what they're doing. And that's something I, I talk to because that's something I've, I struggle with. I still struggle with that to this day of uh, reading something and, and not wanting to come back to our team and trying to change that immediately. But just being able to take those pieces. And I've noticed as I've read more and more, it doesn't always come right away. It could be something like two years down the line where I'm like, oh my goodness, I read about this before. And it helps in a scenario that I never would have thought it would have helped in. I don't know if your experience is similar, but it's been kind of that for me. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's again, having a plan you know, and finding those pieces and how to put them in the plan and what to do and how to do it. And then relying on your team so they know where your weaknesses are. And I think one of the responsibilities of the owner or the leader or manager is to have a vision, a vision for his operation and who they are and what they're about and then being able to communicate how everybody's going to get there. And I just had another thought, but it left me. <laughs> That's uh, <all> right. <laughs> this is a great discussion. And I think it's, uh, to me, it's so thought provoking. I hope the people that are listening to can, can really grasp that part. I know how much of an impact reading and just self-development has had on my life. And you can see it as we work with a number of shops that they have maybe that leadership mentality that you do and and that approach, I think, separates you. I think it, it really, I, the ones that really put that work in and, and really try to, to, to do things differently, it has an impact on not only how your customers see you, but how your, your, your team sees you, your, your internal team sees how well you run your operation and I think that's so big to bringing good people in. And that's what I talk about a lot with our clients is that, you know, you you can put together the best recruiting plan in the world, but if you if you don't have your if you don't have your inside figured out and the people that are already there happy and be honest with it, right? That's one thing I see with a lot of of management is they, they might not be taking an honest look in the mirror and really taking a gauge of how happy tr people truly are in their business. And I think that that can impact them not only from being able to bring new people in, but being able to being able to keep their current team happy. And I think that's so important. Yeah, it is. And just, again, working as a team and understanding that, you know, we don't have to be best buds. But we spend the majority of our waking hours together and another one of our core values, servant attitude. And each of us has that role to support other people, even myself. Again, one of Mike Davidson's coined phrases is set the table for your team. 
So your advisors need all these resources and certain levels of support in order to succeed. And so do the technicians and the shop owner or the leader or the manager needs to take on that same attitude of doing what they need to do to support the rest of their team and set that example and make sure it's in line with the vision and the goals that you're achieving and communicate those on a regular basis and be transparent and open and show your weaknesses as well as your strengths. How important is understanding that piece to hiring? So when you're bringing in a new person, how often are you talking to them about it? How often are you, I, I mean, are you are you hiring and firing based off of this stuff? Or is it is it truly, I don't know the best way to ask this, like, uh, how, how do you implement it from the start? Like if, if you're bringing a new, a new team member in, how, how are you emphasizing how important it is? Mostly it's just with the conversation and it's finding out, you know, what their needs and what their goals are and what they're after and what's important to them. And, and now that we have a really good team, it's often very easy to see are, are those characteristics going to really fit? And that becomes the most important. You know, as complex as repairing cars are today, or just simply being in business, nobody is the smart guru that can fix everything and do everything. And so understanding where people's strengths and weaknesses are and the fact that they can fit in on a team and work as a team member and work to support other people, then the other people work to support them. And it, it's really understanding that first and knowing Will this be a good fit? And then, again, explaining our philosophies about how we work and what's important. And I don't need to say okay to every choice that everybody makes. And I I can't do that. There's too much going on. And if I have to do that, I become the bottleneck and we fail. And so if they understand the core values and why those are important to us and they make decisions um, based on that, even if they do fail and it costs us money, it, it's okay because, you know, nobody's perfect and everybody's going to make a mistake. So if they use those core values to make the decision, then everybody else just needs to accept it. And again, another coin phrase that people talk about is there's no failures. Well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. <laughs> But if you take the mistakes and turn it into a learned lesson and learn from it, now we're able to move forward. And so much in our past where we've made wrong decisions, it took those wrong decisions and those failures to really understand what the right decision or what the right path was. One thing you said there really stuck out to me in in that I think you identified what a strong culture looks like, right? When somebody comes in and you can tell right away that they probably don't fit what you've built there, it sticks out like a sore thumb, right? Like I, I think a lot of people talk about culture, but the way you just explained that to me was so fitting of what culture is that when you build everybody rowing in the same boat, they're all working toward that mission and if somebody comes in and doesn't fit that, they're they're going to stick out. Like they're they're not going to fit what you're doing. Right. And so when you talk about hiring and firing, it's kind of like you know, as a family, I had three sons, which was great, and we were a very active family. And probably what 15 years ago, we started taking on foreign exchange students, and there were times when we had two. And my father-in-law had two, and those four spent most of the time at our house. And people would talk about how do you each have a career and own a business and take care of, you know, that many people. And you know, how do they? How do you control them and make sure they toe the line? And it really was the philosophy, the way we operated. There was such a vortex in what we did and how we did it that everybody just became part of that vortex and it didn't really take any managing or directing or keeping people in line because these, these foreign exchange students would come in and just get sucked into the vortex and everything would just continue most of the time in good harmony. 
That's a, I, I love the vortex analogy. Right? That, that is, it's so true and I think really, really effective. That's a great piece of advice. How, how important is, is process to the shop? And when I say that, I, I see a lot of people in management positions, ownership positions that will tend to run around like chickens with their heads cut off, right? And it feels unorganized. It feels like there's a lot of stray ends. How, how important is, is process to being able to clean some of that up? I would say that that's been one of the most important things that making us effective. Based on the dashboard and our group process, we typically operate at 150 to 160% facility utilization, which is great because I remember those years when we were at 70, 80% and struggling. And it's having processes and procedures that have allowed that. And I remember interviewing one of our past technicians and we talked about that and his interpretation was, you mean you want it all done your way? And no, it's not really that it needs to be my way. We just need to all agree on a process that benefits the operation as a whole, because the left hand needs to know what the right hand's doing. And we need to be able to count on that. And each person needs to know their role. And in order to, how can the advisor make a promise or commitment to the customer if he doesn't know what the valuable final product is that the technician is going to deliver? And if the technician doesn't understand what the customer's primary motive is, then how can he deliver what the customer really wants or to see happen? And so the procedures and processes aren't aren't a way of me getting my way and getting it done my way. They're a way of us to all work together to understand what our role is and how we're going to do it so that we really can function as a team. And when we identify a flaw in a process or a procedure, then we all need to look at it and say, well, here's what's going to work the best for us to work together and deliver that good customer service and um, that valuable final product. And, you know, we used to, one of the questions that I would ask people as part of the interview process is, what business are we in? You know, and they'd all look at me like I'm an idiot and say, well, the automotive (laughs) business. My comment, and I learned this again from the team process, is we're in the customer service business. And it doesn't matter what we think needs to happen. If the customer doesn't feel that we're taking care of them, then we could have done the best job in the world fixing their car and they're not going to be elated about it. And so understanding that we're in the customer service business and that we do that by taking care of their car and educating them so they can make great decisions, that helps a lot. And it was funny. I I felt very proud about having that philosophy. And then I'm sitting in this training this last week and one of the other people that was there, his name's Brad, and he's he's relatively young, 30 years old. And he talked about in his vision as a leader, his facility, his focus in his facility, he, I expected him to say customer service, you know, because that's what we've all been taught. And he said, I look at my primary objective as an operation for personal development. And if I focus on personal development for all of the people that work here, then we do a great job of them achieving their goals and happy employees relate to happy customers. And like Jim would always teach me is he said again and again, all your customers need to feel hugged and kissed when they come in and taken care of like the cheers environment. And that requires having the Google environment for the people who spend the majority of their waking hours here. There was so much good there. <laughs> I I want to make sure we take that clip out of here because that that was uh, there was I was taking notes as we're going through that, and you know I, I get so fired up about that because I think what you said is just spot on and, and the want to, right? That, and again, going back to the quality of people in your shop, but the want to be able to have that, that person that answers the question that way, because that's, 
that's they're taking pride in what they're doing. Like they're taking pride in making people happy. And the Cheers environment with the 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 mix with the Google, I I just I, I'm blown away by what you just said there. That is so cool. What so when when somebody has a problem with a, a process or a procedure, how do you get them to communicate it and not kind of stew on it, right? Because I think it's natural for a lot of people to just kind of uh, say, oh, that that sucks. I don't I don't want to do that, or and just not talk to any about anybody about it. And I, specifically with technicians, I think sometimes it's tough to get them that out of them. But how do you how do you get them to communicate when there is maybe an issue and, and do it in a way where it's not them slamming the door open and yelling that this sucks? Like it, like actually having a good conversation about something that could be beneficial to the company. Oh, man, that's a really good question, because even today, we still struggle with that, as good as our environment is. I know that there are things that frustrate the uh, people that work here that they keep to themselves and they don't bring up to me or bring up to Kyle, who runs the daily operations. Um, a lot of times for the people here, one of the big reasons that they don't is they see all the good things that are happening and they see everybody giving as much as they possibly can. And so the person doesn't want to be a complainer. And so they keep it in. And I think it goes along with another coin phrase where they talk about people do business with people they know and trust. And so that was one of our themes for a year. Last year was building relationships. And so we work in order for customers to feel hugged and kissed when they leave here. You need to understand them and there needs to be a relationship that's more about task orientated fixing their car. And so the same thing is true with the employees or the members of the team is you have to have that relationship and they need to know and understand that the owner, the manager, the foreman, the the leaders have their best interest in mind. And it's, it's not a a situation where you do X, Y, Z and you arrive. It's something that takes effort and work every single day, building that relationship and building upon what's there each day. And it's funny, you know, I used to be a lot of my prior employees used to look at me as a micromanager. And I learned two comments in reading. One, one was actually at a conference, and the leader said, why do people micromanage? And he said, it's because they feel responsible for the decisions that their employees make, but they don't feel confident that the employee is going to do the right thing. And so ultimately, they're going to end up being accountable. So it's easy to get out of that if everybody understands the expectation and understands the goal and you know they're going to make their choices based on those core values. Now you're not having to look over your shoulder. But then again, in just dealing with our quarterly reviews, I read about another thing that that gives a perception that somebody's a micromanager is because they want to know about those people and they want to understand. So you're asking questions just to know and understand so that you don't you lose touch with what's really going on. So like my day, I come in and, and I have an agenda for me. I have the things that I need to do that are my responsibility. And it's easy to go a day or two days, three days, or even a week without really knowing what's going on with the technicians and repairing cars and the process. So you have to ask questions and get involved and you have to know what's going on in their personal lives. Are they struggling because of a family issue? They're trying to buy a house, their car broke down, their kids struggling in school. And, you know, again, one of our core values is our career supports our life. And really the end goal is not to be a workaholic, but for work to support the quality of life we all want outside. And so we have to have that relationship with them and understand those things. Otherwise, how are we able to support them? And it just takes that, again, another coin phrase, managing by walking around. Yeah. 
Um, and so asking questions often gets interpreted as micromanaging. When you're trying to stay in touch with what's going on and what's happening and what's working and what's not, you have to have some avenue to have that level of involvement and get that feedback. Yeah, and I, I think f- from the standpoint of, of micromanagement and being – there's some level of it's needed. Like you you have to be on top of that. And I think a lot of times where the perception of micromanagement comes from a lot of times is more in how it's delivered rather than the question that's being asked, right? So, you know, if somebody is just coming out – and different personality styles, right? A personality that's – hit you between the eyes and the other person isn't quite hit you between the eyes, it can cause a little bit of friction. So I, I, I'm curious as to if you've learned anything in, in that regard. A lot, because I was always a D personality or depending on who you talk to, an A personality. And, you know, being a baby boomer, I grew up in the mentality that, you know, a business was more of a dictatorship. Here's what I hired you to do. Go do it. I don't want to hear any talk about it. It's my name on the door. It's my way or the highway. And having to, and I worked in that environment for many, many, many years. And, you know, having to make that mental shift of, you know, learning how to deliver. You know, I go to a lot of training. I try to do a lot of research. And in being in business since 1980, I think I have a lot of experience. So I make these choices and decisions based on that. But the new 25-year-old or 30-year-old employee doesn't always recognize that and doesn't see that. And so I've had to learn really the hard way to change the way I present it and just kind of let go and work on developing the people around me and taking advantage of their ideas and their different way of thinking and and making sure that I present myself that way. That I, I think that's a challenge in more of a leadership growth, you know, growth in leadership and trying to make sure that your communication style is in line with with your team, that you understand that people have different personalities and that you might have to approach people differently. And again, going back to some of the self-development stuff, I think that's where some of that is so impactful is to get you to open your mind to those facts and and that we've got a changing work environment. You know, COVID has impacted that pretty greatly. And so having the the ability to think through something like that is a huge advantage for a leader because especially in our industry, there's still a lot of old school approach, right? And I think that can create turnover within a shop. I think that can create, you know, maybe the separation of the culture that we spoke of earlier and and the the communication or the effective communication of a leader within an organization is just super super important and I don't think any of us are perfect at it. Like I think it's something we've got to work at. I, at least I hope otherwise I'm I'm alone on an island here. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at an entrepreneur and a business owner, they're a take charge type of person. And, and that's just their mentality and their the way that they're wired. And so you, you think through something and you come up with an idea, right, wrong, or indifferent, and, and now you're the take charge kind of guy and you go out and want everybody to fall in line and follow you. And so we have to change a little bit of that <clears throat> that uh, character that we're born with into more of the team environment and and explaining things and working more from like a board of director with with all of your employees and saying, you know, here's what I see we need to accomplish. A- am I right or wrong? What's going to be the best way? Here are my thoughts and, and getting everybody to participate in it. And I think it goes along with, again, the core value of continuous improvement. And so I don't care what any of us do, especially as a business owner, we're never going to be perfect at that. And we're always going to make the wrong statement, the wrong comment, the wrong choice. And so we have to be transparent again about, okay, that wasn't such a good decision. And 
this is what I'm doing about it, or what do you think I need to do about it? And using your team as just like when we surround ourselves with superstars and we take their advice and, and their experiences to build what we need to, we need to do that with the other people that are here because they see what's going on a lot closer than those other superstars. Yeah. Yeah. And very important to listen to, right? And and listen to actually understand rather than listen to just hear, right? Listen to comprehend what they're saying because when they're on the front lines, they know what the struggles are better than you or I do, right? Like they they really, really understand what isn't so great about their job at times. And if they can help you improve that, it's probably not just them that's struggling with that. There's probably others that are struggling with that same thing. So listening intentionally, I think, is is so, so important. Yeah, and that was a hard skill for me to learn as well, because as an owner and a leader and a an entrepreneur and the person who, you know, really thinks I put all this effort in, you know, and I need to be the answer. You hear the problem and immediately you think, well, I have to come up with an answer. And so you reach for that answer rather than taking the step back and hearing everything about it and and then building a solution with the people around you rather than, you know, feeling like you have to be the one to fix it. This is great stuff. We're actually, we're getting close to bumping up on our hour here and it's gone way too fast. I mean, this is, I, I've got a full page of notes of things that I I could talk about with you and and hopefully we'll get you back on to talk about more of this stuff just because this is this is great, great stuff. Do you have any advice for maybe that that shop owner or manager out there that might be struggling with some of the stuff that we've talked about in terms of how to approach it and, and maybe just a, a general approach to business as you see it. Wow. That's tough. Cause there's so many different things. And I guess I would say the the two top things would be don't let yourself be on an Island, get yourself involved with other organizations like the Automotive Service Association, ASE, other group processes, whether it be what I'm in, the pro service with Jim Murphy, Bob Cooper, and Elite Worldwide. Mm -hmm. There's also ATI, Shop Pros, a lot of other different. They each have their own strengths and, and their own things that they're really good at. And there's not really a one size fits all, but getting involved in some kind of, and I wouldn't say, I think you need yeah. to be in multiple things, you know, in advisory boards to where you're rubbing elbows with other people that are in the same boat that you are. It's just a different flavor. And then reading and using the other resources that are out there. You know, we expect our technicians to go to training and learn about the new technologies while us as a leader need to do the same thing. And we can't have it all, but we need to identify what our weaknesses are and then use our strengths and to address those through training ourselves. This is solid gold, my friend. This is this is really, really good stuff. I, I, I've really enjoyed our time today. I enjoy all of my conversations with you. It's I feel like I learn something from you every time. I, I come away inspired every time and and I it's always a pleasure. I think what you do for the industry and and really what you what you've done for your own team out there is exceptional. And so if if people want to look at what you've got out there, where do they go to find staying at? Well, obviously our website tries to yeah. say a lot about who we are and what we are and what we're about. And having been in the group process and have so many people who have helped me over the last 25 plus years, you know, I'm willing to do the same. Scott Elmore from Stans in Louisville or Lafayette, I think he's Lafayette, once was quoted as saying, if it's good for me, it's good for the industry. And so if we share our knowledge and our learning with all the others, it can only help our industry to move forward and change the perception that we have created with consumers to what the good shops are really all about and what they deliver and that there is really ethics and integrity in automotive service. 
This is great. I, I thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, a, a true pleasure, and uh, hope to have you on again. Great. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> <laughs>